This program is presented by the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. Hi, I'm Sarah Gregory, and today I'm talking to Dr. David Heyman in the United Kingdom. We're going to talk about strengthening global public health surveillance through data and benefit sharing. Welcome, Dr. Heyman. Thank you, Sarah. Dr. Heyman is a professor of infectious diseases and epidemiology at the London School of Hygiene and Tropical Medicine. So let's get started. Your study is about sharing of health surveillance data and benefits. What is public health surveillance? Well, public health surveillance, in short, it's data that's collected in order to inform public health action. And that data could come from many different sources. It could come from hospital records. It could come from patient records held in outpatient departments. It could come from systems which are actively looking for disease and reporting on it. And it could come from digital sources, such as scanners on the Internet, looking for keywords that might indicate an infectious disease. So there are many sources of public health surveillance data. And, and who are the stakeholders? Well, the stakeholders are the people who use that data, and that could range anywhere from a, a, a district or a state health department through to a national government or to others who are involved in in activities with that concern people's health. In your article, you use the words equitable sharing. What, did, what does this mean? Equitable sharing um, means that the data and benefits are shared among the stakeholders according to whether it's an individual need, an organizational need, or a public health need. So in short, um, it's defined at the time that surveillance agreements are made. So in one instance, it may be that sharing is equitable if data is given to a, a pharmaceutical company, for example, to use in their assessment of their medications, and if the pharmaceutical company agrees to a special price for anything that's developed using that data. That could be one extreme example of equitable sharing. Another could just be the fact that someone, some country is sharing data uh, for a global surveillance system that contributes to a global good such as polio eradication, and the equitable sharing would result in eradication of that disease in all countries, including the country that shared the data. So I think you sort of already touched on where the sources of data might be found, but uh, how do these systems work and who is responsible for them? Well, these systems work in many different ways, and there are many different groups that are responsible for them. For example, the World Health Organization runs an influenza surveillance network, which captures information from over 121 laboratories throughout the world that are constantly attempting and isolating virus from persons with influenza-like illness. Those viruses are then set, sent to WHO collaborating laboratories, of which the CDC in Atlanta is one, and genetic sequencing is done on those viruses, and that's put into global databases. Global databases are then used each year when there's a meeting at the World Health Organization in Geneva to examine all the genetic sequence material and decide which sequences that most likely the next year's influenza epidemic, therefore, should be used in the upcoming season's vaccine. So that's an example of surveillance that comes from um, hard virus 
into a digital system and then is used from that system to predict what the influenza virus will be the next season and goes into vaccine production. So the benefit is the vaccine and prevention of influenza and the data comes from the laboratories. Can you give us some more examples of what kind of data is being collected? Sure. There's also data that's collected on a routine basis from health facilities. For example, here in the UK, all the records that are kept in emergency departments are electronic. And there have been thresholds established of normal and non-normal syndromes. For example, a syndrome of diarrheal disease plus fever or a syndrome of cough plus fever. These all have thresholds. And this digitalized data in emergency departments is scanned every 24 hours. And if there's a cluster of syndromes which goes over the established baseline, then there's automatically an investigational response that occurs to see whether or not this is a serious outbreak or whether it could be an artifact. There are also less um, sophisticated systems which exist in developing countries, such as just reporting the number of TB cases, for example, and the number of TB cases that are on treatment. That's very important for national programs to evaluate how they're doing in finding cases and also in treating them. So you said that uh, that was important. So that's just sort of an overall question. How important is collecting data? Collecting data is very important, but what's even more important is to know why you're collecting that data and how it will be used. And all that must be decided before the data collection and data analysis system is developed. So in other words, the most important thing is to plan what is necessary and then develop a system to obtain what's necessary and make sure that it's used properly. You mentioned digital disease detection in your article. What role does it play in this disease surveillance? Well, digital disease detection is very important and becoming more and more important because there are actually um, search engines that are searching the entire World Wide Web in many, many different languages looking for clusters of disease which might indicate an outbreak. And when that's found, then the data is cleared, it's examined, and it's verified by the World Health Organization through its country and regional offices. And if there is indeed an outbreak, then there's a, a, a response that's made either nationally or if it's of international concern globally. So, okay, elaborated on that a little bit. How do the surveillance systems help prevent outbreaks and disease, and why is it so important for countries to share their public health data as opposed to just keeping it within the country? Well, some data can be kept in the country. Other data should not be kept in the country. For example, if a country is involved in a global elimination or eradication program, for example, malaria elimination, then countries must know what to do with that data nationally. They must use it to identify where they need to either increase their activities in prevention and control or modify them in some way so that they're more effective. But then contributing globally, it helps determine the global situation of malaria, but also it helps neighboring countries understand where malaria might be occurring on the border that would be necessary to be jointly um, uh, attended to. So surveillance data, each bit of data has a different purpose. Some needs to be shared only locally, some needs to be shared globally, and some is of no use whatsoever. 
but it's collected and many times not used. Ah, okay. Um, I, I understand that some countries are hesitant or even unwilling to share their data. Why would this be? Well, there are many reasons why, why countries are, are not anxious to share their data. And one of the most important reasons is because sometimes when they share that data, it ends up in the wrong hands or it is misinterpreted, and it costs their economies money. Uh, for example, when India, back in the 1990s, uh, reported plague, pneumonic plague, to the World Health Organization, immediately there were trade sanctions on India, tourism dropped, and, and many other reactions occurred that were really not rational but occurred just because of, of global panic and fear. The same thing happened in Latin America. Cholera first entered Peru in 1990, in the late 1990s, after having disappeared from the Americas for 100 years. When it entered Latin America through Peru, it caused great panic. And that year, Peru lost over $700 million because of lost trade and tourism. So it's very important that these diseases be handled in the right way, that the, the reports of those diseases be handled in the right way. Another good example is in the cholera outbreak in Haiti. The data that was collected in Haiti was then analyzed um, genetically, and it was determined that the bacterium that was causing cholera in Haiti might have come from Nepal through the UN services UN peacekeeping services in, in, in Haiti. As a result, the announcement was made that there was a link, and immediately there was violence in Haiti, and there were actually people killed because of panic and, and concern that this virus had come in with the forces that were trying to keep peace in Haiti all the way from Nepal. That data was handled poorly. It could have been handled much better in a much better way so that these reactions did not happen, but it wasn't. Can you tell me what a good example of um, sharing data? I mean, how how could have that have been handled better? I guess is what I'm asking. Well, yeah, in in Haiti, the data could have been handled better if the genetic sequencing had been thought through before it was done. What was the purpose of doing the sequencing? Was it only to try to put the blame on someone else about cholera, or was it done for some other reason? If it was done just to find out where it came from to blame others, that helps no one. The problem is cholera was and still is in Haiti, and it should be dealt with immediately and properly and not worry about where it might have, how it might have come into the country. It was the same with HIV early on in the AIDS epidemic. Countries were trying to blame each other for having um, contributed to their HIV problem when the problem was present in the country and it should have been addressed in that country. And, and not blamed on others. So the blame game is very important in surveillance data, and that's why many times countries don't want to share. I see. Okay, so talk to us a little bit about the seven principles of sharing public health surveillance um, data that you mentioned in your uh, article, and what do they mean for public health? Well, these are very important um, important principles. The first one is articulating the value, really understanding why you want to do or need to do surveillance and what that surveillance data will do for uh, the general public or for the public good. So articulating the value, understanding what you're doing is very important. 
is making a good plan for how not only you'll collect that data, but how you'll share that data, whether or not it needs to be shared in the district, in a region, in a state, or nationally or internationally. Third is making sure that the data that is collected is of good quality, making sure that there are quality control measures in place. Fourth is understanding the legal context. In some places, it's not legal to take information that has the name of a person and share it with others, even if you unlink the information from the name. So you must understand the legal context before you develop this system, which, or as you're developing the system, to make sure that you do have the value that you're expecting. Then um, another important principle is creating a data sharing agreement. And the best ones, of course, are those that are done informally. But if they can't be done informally for some reason, then there are formal steps that can be taken, anywhere from a, a simple note for the record or a legal document, such as a memorandum of understanding. And above all, the most important is building trust among those who are sharing the data and those who are creating, those who are creating the data. So that's extremely important as well as to build trust. And the final principle is to monitor the evaluation to make sure that that value that you've articulated and the planning that you've done are really doing what they're supposed to be doing. And that can only be done by monitoring and evaluating what's going on. Dr. Heyman, you're an associate editor for the EID Journal. Would you tell us a bit about what that entails and also a little bit about your job? Well, the EID Journal is uh, probably the world's best um, journal on emerging infectious diseases, and uh, I'm very privileged to be on the editorial board of that. That that involves um, working with the journal editor to make sure that the journal is up-to-date and meeting the needs of the people, and at the same time, it involves sometimes reviewing articles or giving an opinion on an article that's been peer-reviewed and, and has been contested or, or some, some other um, need for a, another review of an article. So the editorial board, of which I'm a member, just serves as a reference point and as a, as a source of, it, of help to the editor should that be needed. In uh, the editor, you mean the editor-in-chief, uh, Dr. Peter Drotman? That's correct. When I say the editor, I mean the editor-in-chief. Tell me about your other job. <laughs> Okay, well, uh, I actually had a long career at CDC, and uh, that career involved uh, 13 years in sub-Saharan Africa as a medical epidemiologist, two years in India with smallpox eradication, and then I was assigned for a long period of time to the World Health Organization in Geneva, where I headed many different groups, including the Emerging Infections Group and finally the Group on Infectious Diseases. And during that time, I had the, the privilege actually first off at CDC, my first assignment back in 1976 was to the first outbreak of Ebola hemorrhagic fever in DRC. And after that, I was based in Africa and responded to many outbreaks of Ebola hemorrhagic fever, as well as to outbreaks of monkeypox. And I then uh, spent time in Africa working with malaria, with emerging infectious diseases, and a whole series of childhood diseases, and then was assigned to World Health Organization. And and now, your job? Presently, I'm in the United Kingdom. I've just completed one job, which was Chairman of Public Health England, which is the uh, Center for Disease Control of the United Kingdom. I was in that role for eight years, 
and then I stepped down from that role at the end of uh, last year. And now I'm a, a professor in infectious disease epidemiology at the London School of Hygiene and Tropical Medicine, and I'm a senior fellow at a think tank called Chatham House in London, where we are working with WHO and other international organizations to address technical issues that have become too political for them to handle. And so we work with them outside the WHO environment here at London in Chatham House and do other activities as well. Thank you, Dr. Heyman, for taking the time of your incredibly busy schedule to talk to us. Um, listeners can read the entire July 2018 policy review, Strengthening Global Public Health Surveillance Through Data and Benefit Sharing, at cdc.gov eid. This is Sarah Gregory for Emerging Infectious Diseases. For the most accurate health information, visit cdc.gov or call 1-800-CDC-INFO.